Hello and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, now retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today as always are Lauren. I made it here. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 5, Episode 6, which is titled Stuck on You. The episode aired on November 5th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? Well, it's a very quiet week, as all the children of America got their spook on and then fell into comas from eating too much candy. Vampires, starring future ER guest star James Woods, debuts and takes the number one spot at the Halloween box office. And The First Night by Monica is still your number one song. Fun fact about vampires, it cost $20 million to make, and it made $11 million this weekend. Oof. And then that's that's over half of what it would make. It would just oh barely get above $20 million yeah, total I... box office. It would drop from number one this week to number eight next week. And then no one heard about it ever again. Exactly. That's the first I've ever heard about it. Yeah. But I do love to meet some James Woods, so. Yeah, I begrudgingly but, admit he is a good actor. He's a shithead of a person, but. Yeah. It's okay. We can talk about we can talk about him when his episode comes up. That's right. All right. For what else was on that evening? Get ready for some provocative titles, gang. They are trying to Ooh. they're trying to rope people in with these titles this week. At 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One with the Yeti. At 8.30 p.m., Jesse with the episode The Methadone Clinic. At 9 p.m., Frasier with the episode Secret Admirer. And at 9.30 p.m., the delightfully quaint 90s title, Veronica's Closet, Veronica's on the Herb. Hey, so Aww. am I. <laughs> this week's episode had 28.6 million viewers tuning in, down about eh, half a million or so from last week. This week's episode is directed by David Nutter, doing his second out of five. Pre previous one of his we talked about was No Brain, No Gain, way back in season three. And this week's episode is written by the team of Neil Baer, doing his 13th out of 18. Previous ones of his we did were Gut Reaction and Freak Show. And Linda Gase, doing her 8th out of 25. Previous one of hers we talked about was A Bloody Mess. And we kick off with our previously on, brought to us today by Mark. And we have Doug working on his Q&A reports in his office. Now, do we think this is in, in Doug's... Wow. Do we think this is in Doug's apartment or do we think that he's staying with Carol at this point and this is in her house and it just looks way better than we've ever seen it? I think they've moved in together. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Uh, Carol comes to check on him. We find out it's 5 a.m. and he has not gone to bed yet. And he says, now I know how you felt when you opened your clinic. So this is a lot of them, this episode is going to be a lot of the two of them kind of talking about the parallels and the actual weight that this is putting on Doug's shoulders. <laughs> and it's a very good Carol and Doug episode of just like the two of them together, but they do kind of push the envelope at a certain point in this episode where it gets, it gets to be almost too much, Doug and mm -hmm. Carol, where you're like, all right, they're laying it on a little thick here, but mm -hmm. they do, I, they, they ultimately land the plane. So I'm, I'm here for it. Poor choice of words with the Grays episode we just watched. Ooh. Well, I can't control that. I know. Just well, you'll big. find out when gonna my turn comes up after we're done with the ER. Um, then we go over to the dormitories, I guess. Are the Have we established that the dormitories look like they're in the hospital? They no. sure do. I keep trying to look at them real set design nerd style and try to see if they've repurposed a set from a previous, you know, area. Yeah. And nothing's really springing to mind. So I think it's just, it's obviously, you know, meant to evoke kind of the same look of the hospital gotcha. but just slightly different gotcha well lucy's leaving a note on carter's door when he walks out uh he's got moving boxes and all of his stuff carter's in boxes today folks 
um it's a joke for like us two and like three other people who listen to the show um animal crossing yeah happy to let it be um but carter lost his ra job because of the party incident i imagine flaming couches have a have that kind of effect on or you know kids oding on ecstasy yeah you know a little from column a a little from column b cumulative effect yeah but uh roxanne is in his bed and lucy accidentally bumps in accidentally grabs her or bumps into her puts a bag down or something on her oh yeah yeah, yeah. and then uh lucy and then is awkward and runs away i know like i know we're only like barely halfway through her appearances but is it just me or is roxanne the most paper thin uh paramour for carter that they have given him thus far like i know next to nothing about her and have developed zero opinion about her one way or another she's hot but that's it like she's just there like she's literally just there there's nothing to her whatsoever very weird uh, but we go from there, we go outside to the pouring rain. And when I say pouring rain, it is pouring down rain. Uh, as an ambulance drives by, Mark is continuing to be the go-between between the EMTs and the nurses. Uh, he's tasked with reminding the EMTs not to restock their supplies from the nursing stock. And just as he's doing that, there uh, are some gunshots behind them. Uh, gangbangers are out beating up a guy in the middle of the street. And uh, Mark decides to bail out to check on the patient before the area is secured, which dismays the EMTs to no end. They are terrified that he's decided to do this. Uh, goes out there. There's no entrance wound. The guy looks like the guy's just beat up. Didn't actually get shot. They uh, choose to intubate in the field as it's pouring rain, which several problems with this. Like it's dark. They're using a flashlight to try to, you know, light the work the area that he's working yeah. on. Yeah. And it's, they haven't mark mentions at one point or it might have been the emt that they haven't cleared his c-spine yet so they don't know whether or not he has a neck injury when they go to like crank his neck back to do this innovation yeah mark mentions it and it's like oh do it anyway we gotta get this in he's gotta breathe and not to mention the fact that like they go to crank his head back and when they go to crank his head back like it is pouring down rain to the degree that like it could be like a chicken looking up during the rain situation like he's just gonna drown from all the water coming into his mouth because it's pouring buckets uh, so not not a great not a great move, and the, the EMT is none too happy about this. They get him on the gurney and into the rig uh, just as they lose his pulse, and the EMT, as he's closing the door, says, "Next time you decide to do a ride along, I'm taking the day off." <laughs> and I have to say, I know I know this a little bit further on in, in the notes, but I'm really proud I managed to get all that with all the flashing lights happening on screen. Yeah, that was uh, a miss on my part to not give you a heads up on that. Well. I would have had to watch it anyway, so there wasn't anything we could do, but I was just sitting there, like, I was like, okay, I'm gonna peek up, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna peek up, I'm gonna write, and Lizzie just kind of had to uh, fill in blanks for me for part of it. But this this first third of this episode is so lightning heavy, and it was not great. Real flashy. Not, not fun, fam. Yeah. And we are in with some tonally appropriate bangs, uh, the twinkles continue to lie dead in the ditch. Uh, Mark, and then we go over to Mark. Uh, and team giving Carrie the rundown on the GSW victim and Lauren. Uh, first off, I want to note uh, error from the editing department. He is not a gunshot wound victim. That was my bad. Oh, this is yes. the assault victim. So that was my bad at the time we thought he may have been shot. So first off, let me correct that. Give me my lead in again, please. And Lauren? Whose films are those? <laughs> 
one of these times you just need to get like a voice modulator uh, like on your phone uh-huh. and just like play a recording back of like you playing it in like of you talking in like Wookiee or something. Who's <laughs> I don't know. Just come up with just get weirder and weirder things and the, the listeners will just know what it is because it's the only catchphrase I have. Exactly. So we'll just see how many weird things. I'll just have to pick a language every week and butcher different languages trying to say it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, That's actually a, a really good idea. Find uh, a translation program that like will talk it back out to you and then that, that the thing can butcher it for you. Um, but Carrie says uh, Litvak turned down the position for the chief. Uh, he he used the offer to negotiate a bigger salary back home. Or is that Mark that says that? Uh, no, I think that was Carrie. Oh, okay. Uh, Mark tells Carrie she was the only other one on the short list. Ooh. Ooh. Intriguing. Yep. And then uh, Carter and Roxanne are coming into the ER because Roxanne just exists to give Carter's storyline exposition and be everywhere he is. Um, and they're joking as she reads him different apartment listings because he got kicked out of the dorms. He's got to find a place. And we're noted that there is a room in Old Town for rent that is not too far from the hospital. Ooh. Now, Chicago Geography Gang, does this roughly match where we would expect County General to be? Because when I think of it, I think of it as further down, like, Loop, South Loop area. Yeah, I mean, the Old Town is, like, a couple miles north of it, And I guess it depends where approximately on... approximately the... the they pretend the hospital is. And I guess it depends on what like bus route you're saying they're yeah, on or not... whatever. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Nice Th- little this brings up a good uh, opportunity to bring this up because I um, I meant to do it while we were in Chicago, but we it like we were so busy that weekend that there was never an opportunity to do it. Um, thanks to uh, next month's interview subject, uh, Guy B, who was the Steadicam operator for the first few seasons, also directed an episode later on. There is actually a canonical street address for County General Hospital. Oh, there is, and I Google, I Google maps it, and it is um, there is some kind of medical center there. I think it has something to do with Rush, um, but I, I'll give me a, a brief moment, and I can tell you exactly what the uh, the canonical. So the canonical street address for County General Hospital is eighteen thirty five West Harrison, Chicago, Illinois six zero six one two. So is that the old? I think that's the old Cook County. That would be yeah. I think that would so. Be right Hospital. by Cook County. Yeah, and so yeah. when I when I Google Street viewed it or whatever, it was um it was like an under construction area. Yeah, it's, like, in, yep. the, it's in the medical district, which is yeah, right by the the new Rush Hospital. Well, yeah. not new anymore, but or is that more UIC? I don't know. Either way, it's it's more on that's that's on the near west side. But it's yeah. it's the big one that's always graffitied and under construction. Maybe. It's out of use. Yeah. yeah. But so he uh, he posted a picture of a bunch of his old like crew tags from various productions, and one of the ones that was listed on there was the county general tag that every cast and crew member, anybody who ever might accidentally be on camera, has a county general tag with their name and picture on it. Uh, and I happened to see the address on there, and I was like, ooh, we might have an actual address for where canonically county general is located. Which is, yeah. I'll just say it, if we're going by that, Nowhere near where it looks in the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely nowhere. I mean, they pretend 5600 North is the south side. They also so. pretend that the Chicago stop is like... Is in, right there. Is in the loop. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so is the river is right there. They, it's okay. They, they play fast and loose. They play fast and loose. Anyway. Yes. They continue to... Just give us a, a nice wide breadth of Chicago geography. Yeah. They wanted Liz- to get the full picture. I was say, they do show off the Chicago very well. 
Listeners, take a shot for the Chicago geography discussion. Oh, R.I.P. your liver. Uh, we go from there. We see Mark working on the assault victim. Uh, find out that the patient's John pulled a gun on some bangers, which cued the assault that they, um, the, the ambulance came upon. Uh, get a cute little I Dream of Genie reference. Uh, and we find out that our patient's name is Kevin Delaney. He's a 16-year-old. Uh, and he is played by actor Chad Donella, who appeared in stuff like the movie Hate Crime, Shattered Glass, and Final Destination. Thank um, you. It was Final Destination. Out. That was. <laughs> I was like, where do I know him from? I knew I was going to figure it out once we got to this Final Destination. Thank you, Daniel. Yep. Uh, good actor. I like this kid. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. like this kid. I, I think he does an outstanding job in this episode. I think it, it's been a while. Maybe I guess I guess Rappaport counts from last season, but it, I feel like it had been a while since we had had a really good signature patient episode where we could just really sink our teeth into one patient for a whole episode he he could have definitely gone over the top with this and he does a very good job playing it right down the middle exactly yeah uh so we find out he lives on the streets as a prostitute he was kicked out of his home from his dad uh who caught him having sex with his gymnastics coach which wow you could do a whole episode just on that like holy shit that seems like a real bag of cats that we don't want to get involved with uh, and also said when asked if he uses protection, uh, unfortunately replies, customers pay more to ride me bareback, which is a sentence I never wanted to have to read. But here we are. You could have assigned it to one of us. You could have chosen. This not is to what happens. This one. is what happens when I just blindly highlight things and I don't actually read the bullet points. <laughs> this is. You're like, this looks like a good section. Yeah, like I'm usually trying to space it out. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. Lauren's Lauren's going to want a, a few breaks in here. I'll just try to try to use my highlight judiciously. Uh, oh, a, there you go. You played yourself. I did. Uh, Mark has him take an HIV test just to be on the safe side. So we will be seeing a lot more of Kevin throughout the rest of the episode. That's probably for the best. That we see more of him or that he's getting an HIV test? Both. He's getting an HIV test. Yeah, both. Both, both really. Because, yeah... Though I'll talk about I'll talk about my thoughts later. Okay, so. I'm sure you will. Um, we have Lynette uh, doing blood pressure readings for seniors because um, Carol had the clinic do some outreach to a senior center, and one of the people that they're working on who will be a lovely through line patient this <laughs> episode is Mr. Uh, was it Levy or Levy? Levy, I believe. Levy, yeah, Mr. Levy. Um, just excellent comedic timing. We'll yeah. get more into him a little bit later, but. Lynette's working on his blood pressure. And again, I'm noting that even though we are inside, there are still lightning effects through the windows and I'm still wanting to die. Um, Set dressings. I mean, effective, you know, good job. We know it's storming outside, but holy shit. Um, That's got to be even more uh, triggering. Not that it wouldn't have been on the outdoor stuff, you know, because mm -hmm. we know that's a soundstage too, but this we know for sure is a soundstage, which means there's somebody outside that window with a giant light just shining it over and over again and like that's boy if you're if you have a seizure disorder best of luck to you well and i i will say this to to um discuss that is it it does take specific frequencies for a lot of people Hmm. so like just seeing one strobe go off wouldn't necessarily do it but it's the repeated thing so it's it's more just it's uncomfortable to see at this level but yeah it's definitely one where it would be like okay if they're doing multiple takes in rapid succession, maybe anybody photosensitive isn't on the set that day. Yeah. Because <laughs> hot damn. Um, 
But then from there, more Carol and Doug. Carol grabs Doug to show him a new lab coat that she got for him. Because we never really see Doug in a lab coat. He's always in his scrubs. Yeah, not since... Or street clothes. Not since early... Well, I don't even know if it would be early. Early to mid-season one, I would say, was the last time we saw Doug in a lab coat. Remember our introduction to Doug with the banana bag? Yeah. How far he's come. He really has. My little boy's all grown up. And then Doug was like, oh yeah, I'm busy. What do you want? And then the minute she gets it... uh. He pulls her into one of the exam rooms and shuts the door and the blinds so they can make out. Because let's just really, really slap it on here that Doug and Carol are officially good, theoretically. I think they've officially been good for a but while But like, now. Let's, let's just say that now it's the, the true honeymoon phase. <laughs> they, know, still... they know there's an expiration date coming on this. They're like, we got to get our shit in. We got to get yeah. all this stuff out of the way. We did yeah. will they, won't they for so long. Now they will. Let's do this. Until they won't. Oops. No. Also, I don't know if we've if we've talked about it too much recently. How are we feeling about Doug and Carol now that we're at this stage? Um, I'm I'm actually after watching this episode, I think I am ready to like declare my stamp of approval for like I think they are still like it's kind of a boring answer, but I think they are like the ship of the show. Like I think yeah. I think for yeah. me for my money, I think they are the best pairing in the entire run of the show, which I know is going to piss off a lot of... <laughs> I uh, thought of one right off the top of my head. A lot of Luca and Abby stands, yep. and a lot of... Uh, let's see, what what's the other big one? I guess... Uh, have your co-host. Uh, uh, Cor- the Corday Green. The the the, 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 dwindling, the dwindling percentage of the audience that is Corday and Green stands. Is, um, is Ray and Neela a big ship? For some people. I hope not. It is for some people, yeah. I hate that it is, but yeah. For some I have people. a much higher opinion of Ray as a character than 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 <laughs> seems like a lot of people. Well, at least same, on Facebook, but but and Jake. <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm so ready to actually end. Jake. But Jake wouldn't have an opinion. Jake, has, Jake hasn't met I'm Ray. Yet. Jake, I think, has met him on a flash forward yeah. and had a pretty negative opinion of him just on first blush because he on first blush he looks like a douche. Like he Jake having negative opinions on things. Well, what? but. No, I... it's gonna be so good to talk about those those i'm so excited <sighs> but yes okay so daniel they're your classic otp got it lizzie how are you feeling i'm fine i okay. still think guys i still think it's in a it's a bottom tier relationship for me Ooh, oh wow them's fighting words because doug pulls the ultimate shithead moves and abandons carol yeah those, but them's that's them's fighting words. that's he did an unforgivable thing them's to me. fighting words so it's good while it's here, but then it ends. Well, but they still get a happy ending, though. I mean, they still. Yeah, but way too like. Sh- we'll get there. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. We will get there. Okay, mm-hmm. and then I think, um, I think for me, it definitely took us a lot longer to get here than I remembered um, the last watch through that Lizzie and I did. But I'm glad we're here. I'm ready for them to make their graceful departures over the next couple seasons and get some new blood lizzie is seething next to me i can see <laughs> i'm not steam. seething i can I'm see just... steam coming out of her ears i have a very stuffy nose right now so i'm trying really hard not to sniffle then i can make a terrible asmr for our listeners but anyway uh go over to the admit desk uh where benton has come down t- for a page from carter uh dude has a small bowel obstruction and carter tries to commiserate with benton about having a clueless student and Benton throws down the line. I never gave you any thought, Carter. Medical students don't know anything. It's your job to teach them, not to be your friend. Damn. 
Mic drop, walk away to surgery. Which I'll say is bullshit. We know Benton gave plenty of thought to Carter later (laughs) on. That's true. But But still. I think when he's talking about like early on, he was like, no, I didn't give a shit. I'm just here to teach you how to be a better doctor. I noticed not personal. I noticed something in this episode too, because it happens like two or three different times. Like it happens with Carter here. It happens with the doctor a little bit later on. And I think it happens with Lizzie as well. Benton has a real problem with looking people in the eye when he talks to them. Yes. <laughs> like yep. he has a tendency to just like, not even, it's not even that he's not looking them in the eye. He's half the time looking in another direction altogether. With, with the later one, there's a good explanation. There is. That we'll get into, but for, for the others, yes, definitely. He's definitely, got some avoidance going on yeah uh we go from there we see lucy doing an exam on a woman when carter interrupts to tell her to do an extra step uh that she objects to says she hasn't done it since she was a first year uh which carter is like well i have to make sure you can get like he's just kind of needlessly sort of needling her here and is like you have to check for this so she has the woman repeat and i forget what she's what exactly she's checking for but she has the woman repeat the number 99 over and over again while tapping on her back yeah seems seems like a very cursory level test because she gives something the most half-ass you know attempt at it something we've never seen them do on any other h&p we've ever seen a character take never in five seasons um they go back we see mark checking on kevin uh blood alcohol level was high as you might imagine uh but not not as highest i believe it checks in at 0.16 and he says oh last time i was here it was 0.26 so he's like disappointed he didn't get the high score uh he is negative for hiv uh but yeah yeah a little bit of good news we'll take it where we can get it uh mark tells him uh that you know you're not going to stay negative for long if you don't protect yourself it's time to get your life together and Kevin asks for a shower and clean clothes. And I, I really like the dynamic between these two. I do, but Mark does come off a little bit uh, Doug Ross holier than thou in this episode. A little, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I like the I like the way that they there does there does seem to be a little bit of earned respect between the two of them by the end of it. Like, mm-hmm. he tries to throw him off of his game. Uh, he being Kevin in this case, like he really tries to turn up the the dial on trying to weird Mark out to get what he wants, and it's you know a different Mark does uh, Mark doesn't bite on it, right? He doesn't know. blanch at all. Yeah, different a different character on a different show. I feel like especially at this time, mid nineties, mid to late nineties, you would have had a lot of like there would have been a lot of opportunity for like gay panic material here that doesn't really materialize. If, if it was Dale, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I like it. But uh, let's go up to the surgical floor where Corday runs up to Peter as he's taking someone to surgery. Because uh, she's going to be operating with him on the small bowel obstruction because she's Benton's new intern. In theory. If he'll take her. And Anspa approved it. If that's the thing. And he's really, although he's really not comfortable being her boss. Because they are still, at this point, loosely together. You know. It's not really. We haven't really seen too much of it in the last few in the last couple episodes, as we know. It's the the relationship has an expiration date, mm-hmm. and you know, Lauren and I were were saying kind of good on Benton for recognizing that there would be a power dynamic issue, and you know, I w- I will not agree with necessarily agree with Lauren that say to say boo on Corday for being mad at him, but it's but good on Benton. Yeah, definitely, That's... definitely good on Benton. Like it, it's, um, it's a bad 
it, it's bad for them professionally. It's bad for them personally. Like it's just kind of, and it's a little bit silly. I think that by the end of the episode, he kind of, you know, goes back on that. Uh, I think he probably should have stood his ground on this a little bit more. I think if anybody needed to come around on this particular issue, it was Elizabeth. Like she's. Yeah, the one I thought this was gonna be the thing that breaks them up. Same. Yeah, I'm still trying to remember what is the thing that breaks them up. I'm really like, it's not this episode. It's not this episode. It's, and I, but I think it is coming pretty soon. So I, uh, like, I think before like the tenth episode or so, I think we're definitely done with Corday and, and Benton. So because by the end of the season, we're. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll, and, you'll, you'll have you'll have your time. We're in the green day. <laughs> L- I hate that that's time. the ship. <laughs> oh, I cringe every time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it was just... Childish is the wrong word for Lizzie's reaction here, Elizabeth's reaction here. But I just think that, you know, she comes in, immediately dumps this on Benton without even talking to him about how he would feel about it. And then goes off in a huff when he's like, well, we, maybe we should talk about this. I'm, I, I, we're dating. I don't want to play favorites. I would be your boss. That's maybe not a good idea. Like yeah. he raises some very valid points, even just within the infrastructure of like the professional setting that they're in. Yeah. But you're, I, I mean, think, I think childish I, is the, maybe the right word. That's, there's no other way to describe it in my mind. But I mean, I can relate had having, um, have had an idea that you're really super psyched out about that objectively is a bad idea, psyched up about the is objectively a bad idea, and then obviously and then the person that you need to do the thing with says it's a bad idea. Yeah. And you're like, God damn it! it no, yeah. Or, we've, or, oh, we've all perhaps angry at herself for getting yeah. her hopes up. We've so we've much. all been there, but she very much expresses it as anger at Benton. And that's probably the way that she just expresses her disappointment. I'm trying to give her a little bit of credit here. <laughs> that's, so let's that's... let's move on. So then we go on to Benton is at the Roach Coach with Reese grabbing a coffee and a bite to eat. And Carrie runs into them and compliments Reese on just how big he's getting. And I love Carrie with children. Carrie with children is the best. And I, I just love Carrie. And she notices Reese's hearing aids and is like, oh, you know, I didn't know that you know you know what's going on with reese and benton explains the whole situation and how you know he's thinking about cochlear implants and carrie's like well won't he lose his residual hearing then it's a whole thing so she actually refers peter to a friend of hers who specializes in what reese is going through so i have been uh behind the curtain i have been starting to work on going back through season all of our season two episodes to start working on a best of season two episode for the holiday season this year and um obviously you know with episode one of season two that's where carrie makes her grand uh entrance to the cast and one of the one of the little early carrie plot threads that we've sort of lost track of over the last three seasons or so has been um that she had a pre-existing familiarity and relationship with benton that they had done an ER, yes. they had done an ER rotation. Yeah, it's it's only mentioned like once or twice in the first episode that they had done a ER rotation together prior to that, and it's one thing. It's a a, a thread that they didn't really carry forward with much, uh, and it's really like here. This is one of the few times that I can remember just off the top of my head that we even just see Carrie and Benton solo, one on one. You know, it's usually in the context of a trauma or something like that. It's pretty rare that we actually get to see these two on screen, just the two of them. So I kind of like that they brought that back. And I feel like as a whole, we've seen Benton less and less down in the ER. Could I be wrong about that? Possibly. I don't know. He did. He did. 
uh, take the bomb off the dude. But yes, and I'm not saying he's not down there. I'm just saying I feel like he was, you know, down interacting with the main, you know, ER cast more in prior seasons. Now they kind of have him more up on surgery, doing his own thing with Romano and Corday, and and they did they did make a point too of having that like it was a plot point that Corday was covering the ER. Right. For a while. So that could play into it as well, that they were right. just trying to feature her more, and he sort of got diminished as a result. Yep. But then from there, uh, we have Doug is at Admit with Jerry, and he gets an urgent call, and it turns out that it's just Carol calling him from around the corner to be gross and cute and too much. Yeah. This this was Not this great. was where I hit my limit. This was where I was yep. like, this, this is was... too much. Too syrupy, too much, and I'm so glad she gets inter- interrupted by, I think, Lynette and Mr. Levy. Yeah. Which, yeah, good segue. Mr. Levy here, who is the the senior gentleman who was getting his uh, BP tested earlier, uh, he's now complaining about his sugar diabetes. I love, I, I love the way old people describe diabetes. Sugar <laughs> diabetes uh, and needing to get his blood checked, and Carol and Lynette both are rolling their eyes at him. Uh, and Mr. Levy here, like I said, first time we're really getting a good look at him. He's played by... Uh, veteran actor harvey corman uh, who appeared in he was kind of a favorite of mel brooks he appeared in blazing saddles and history of the world part one as well as a long-running uh, role on the carol burnett show uh, and unfortunately he passed away in 2008 and then we see Jeannie working with a little girl named kate who fell and hurt her arm uh, as soon as they, she's being brought in by her dad uh, and so they set her up in one of the curtain areas and uh as they're walking away, Jeannie tells Yosh to send up any old charts on the girl because uh, her story and dad's story don't quite add up. And I think she's suspecting a little bit of abuse here. So we will check back with Kate a little bit later. And Kate is played by actress Alessandra Torresani, who had a uh, recurring roles on Big Bang Theory, American Horror Story and the TV series Lucifer. I'm looking up who she was in American Horror Story. Hold on. I think it's a 2011 was her yeah. season. She was in. She was in two episodes. I think she just played a. Um, she played like a ghost that was uh, in the house for those two. Um, yeah, sorry. Just as a huge American Horror Story fan, I was like, oh, let me see if I recognize her. She does have sort of a face like she she <laughs> like she grew up to be somebody. You know, like she has right. one of those faces where it's like you look sort of familiar. Yeah. And and she was she did Arrested Development and stuff too. Like she's been in stuff, but yeah. it's just took me a minute. But yeah, once I saw her grown up face, I was like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, and then we go back over to Mark and Kevin talking about the pain in his leg, and it turns out Kevin has a climb disorder that he knows about. And Mark wants to give him heparin in the ER and then Coumadin for the road, which I learned is a uh, alternate name for warfarin. Oh okay. Which is the fifty second most prescribed. Uh, medication in the entire United States at f- with 14 million prescriptions. How very specific. The 52nd. I, like... <laughs> I was, because I was wondering, because Kevin says that Coumadin and the streets don't mix. And I was like, okay, you know, you might get hurt and you might bleed more. I was wondering if there was like any other specific, like weird interactions or anything mm-hmm. with it. So just out of sheer curiosity, um, I Google, I was Googling all about Coumadin and Came across the Wikipedia for Warfarin. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, the more you know. 
Uh, then from there we go, Carol asks Mr. Levy how much insulin he took, and he's like, I don't remember. I don't know. His blood sugar is 61. We find out that his home health aide took a new job and his wife passed last year. So he has no real support system at home. Um, and then we also find out he ordered Chinese to the ER and he's like, what? She said I had to eat. And Lynette and Carol talk about the potential of putting, getting him into a home temporarily to which he responds, I'm not going to a nursing home. I like how he not only ordered Chinese to the ER, but had Carol pay for it as well. Yes. Including tip. Like, it's just. Where's my cookie? Yeah. This is very, like, this is very silly kind of patient. Like, he's he's very much like a BC patient in this episode, but I like him quite a bit. Like, and you could definitely tell that he's got some serious, like, comedic chops to him. Like I was going to say, he's our comedy relief this episode. Yeah. And he works quite well. Uh, so we go from there. Lucy asks uh, Carter if she's going to be getting to work with any other residents saying, you know, that it might benefit her to learn from a variety of different perspectives. Uh, and he basically shuts that down and is like, well, you have to talk to the attending about that. And give me the history on this, this next patient. So I guess developments to come on that. He uh, gives, she gives the history on the current patient with a history of leukemia and a, he has a fever and sore throat, a young, uh, young boy named, well, he's not a boy. He's like a probably teenager. 12, 13. Jesus. Yeah, probably probably around there. Uh, Brad. Brad is his name, and he is played by actor Aldous Hodge, who appeared as an adult in uh, Hidden Figures, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and uh, Straight Outta Compton, which I definitely recognized Mm. him from Straight Outta Compton. He plays one of the band members. So... Uh, MC Ren, I believe, if if you saw that movie. That's uh, that's little Brad here. Uh, And I... Carter tells Lucy, you know, it's our job to treat the patient, not feel sorry for them. Mm. Yikes. Uh, Carter says that uh, it's likely a virus that Brad's dealing with and that they'll give treat it with ibuprofen. And then we find out that he's a candidate for a new treatment. But of course, because this is America and capitalism sucks, insurance won't pay. Uh, and then Lucy makes a suggestion that gets mom's hopes up and Carter in turn gives Lucy the death stare to end all death stares. Like shut the fuck up, Lucy. Like, like we, we talk about this away from the patient and then come back and see if it's possible. Yeah. Like she basically just says like, what if he just gets the treatment on the side? Like what, like basically just like, what if we slip it to him? It sounds like, and he's, if looks could kill. Yeah. Lucy would die again. Oops. Oh, Jesus. Oh, there it is. Uh, but uh, Carol and Mark are chatting about Kevin and his disorder, and you know it's glad to see more of them, more of their own interactions. I know we'll we'll get we'll get plenty of it uh, after after Douglas leaves, but um, but Carol gives Mark a pamphlet for a shelter that takes in street kids. She has so many pamphlets. Yeah, so maybe Kevin has a safe space he can take his drugs. Yeah, well. His prescription medication. Yes. I was gonna... You knew what I meant. You know, got to clarify it for the folks at home. You never know. Uh, Jeannie then goes on to ask to speak to Kate's dad, and she confronts him about all of the repeat medical visits on Kate's medical records. And he says, okay, well, she didn't really fall riding her bike. You have to keep this secret. But she was riding a unicycle. <laughs> she was riding a unicycle backwards while playing violin. And it turns out she has reasons for every injury, and they're all related to breaking records in the Guinness Book of World Records with her dad. 
Remember the Guinness Book of World Records? Yeah. Yes. I had several of them. Like that was like a that was like a mainstay on my bookshelf as a kid for a few for years. For sure. That was always Especially at her age. Yeah. Go to the book fair every year at school, get your Guinness Book of World Records book. Like absolutely. This was like the peak time for that too. Oh yeah. I think it was around this time, maybe the year after or so, that they actually had a Guinness Book of World Records TV show briefly. Mm-hmm. Do you guys also remember Ripley's Believe It or Not? Oh, yep. uh, yeah. We had a Ripley's Museum uh, in not my hometown, but like the, the tourist town a couple towns over. I've been to the one in Canada. Yeah. I've been to the one in, uh, I'm not sure if it's still there anymore, but there was one in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, where my grandma... Oh, resided. I'm sure there's so. one still in St. Augustine, Florida. I <laughs> I want to find. I want to find if that show is streaming anywhere. I can't imagine Why? that it is. Like, you could. It's that's, probably that's, one of those shows you could find on YouTube in its entirety. That's up there with like unsolved mysteries. Yeah. For just like weird stuff that I'd watch after school. Weird trash TV. Yeah, I get. Yeah. I get that. Much more age appropriate. Oh, I, I don't know. I watched a shit ton of Unsolved Mysteries even when I was like five or six. Like, Oh, so did I. But I'm saying like I, I probably would be much less afraid of many things if I had not watched Unsolved Mysteries as a developing child. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I, th- back to the storyline itself. Like I, I actually – this has the potential to be a very silly, very stupid storyline that like doesn't work. And for some reason, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a goddamn Gloria Rubin situation where she's elevating what is ultimately a very stupid storyline and making it better, but it works. I also, I think it's, I think it's these two actors too. Both guests do an amazing job in a believable father-daughter relationship. They're yeah. just looking to find ways to bond. Yeah, they really do sell it. You're right. So then we go from there. We see Benton going to meet up with Carrie's referral, a Dr. Lisa Parks. Uh, and it turns out that Dr. Parks is deaf. And, of course, this comes as a shock to Benton. Uh, he's communicating th- via... It's never made quite clear who this woman is as far as if she has any role in Dr. Parks' practice beyond just interpreter. Like, right. It's not sure if she's like a, a nurse or if she's a you know physician assistant or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. but she serves as interpreter here. And so Benton is doing a lot of communicating through her. And... She, like I said, he's he's doing the thing where like he's not looking at her while he talks, and she even corrects him at one point and is like, "Can you ask him to look at me when he talks so I can read his lips?" Like, right? He's kind of getting an in-service on what it's like to deal with a deaf person here. Um, so she asks him, Lisa, the asks him to coffee to chat more about Reese's situation, and we get Benton with the most like ridiculous take here, where he just basically is yelling at this woman. He's like, "I didn't know you were deaf." Like it's, the minute he has to look her in the eyes, he just screams at yeah, her. He just starts yelling at her. It's it's a it's a good take, you know. And 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 Doctor Parks here uh, is played by actress Phyllis Freilich. Freilich. I'm not a hundred percent sure mm-hmm. how you pronounce her name. Does appear to be a legitimately deaf actress. Um, she didn't have a ton of acting credits to her name. I did note that she's making her first of two appearances here as Doctor Parks. Um, and unfortunately, she died in 2014 from progressive supranuclear palsy a rare degenerative neurological disease for which there is no known treatment i don't know yeah i don't know if that was related to her deafness in any way or what but seems like seems like she was a a fairly active not only as an actress but also just kind of as an active kind of like the um cerebral palsy patient that we Mm -hmm. had last season where not only was he kind of a little bit of an actor, but he was also a big time activist for people with cerebral palsy. She was similarly for deaf folks. 
Yeah, if I if I'm thinking correctly, and this could also just be because I'm such a baby. Uh, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you love to do that. Um, aside from you know Dr. Parks, the only big um, deaf actress that I can think of would be the woman who played. Um, oh my God, I'm it, blanking uh, on her name. Marley Maitland. Joey Lucas. Yeah, Joey Joey Lucas on The West Wing. Uh, Marley Maitland. Who I think will be herself will be making an ER appearance before too long. I think she makes which, an appearance uh, later on down the road. Which will be so exciting. But yeah, but, um, she was like the deaf actress at this time, at least in my in my little corner of the world. Like anytime there was a deaf character on anything, it was almost always Marley Matlin. Yeah, she's done a ton. Um, yes, you're right. In a 1999 episode, she'll be in. Yeah. But yeah, so I just I think I think it was really good that they actually got a deaf person mm-hmm. or hard of hearing person to come and do this because it's really important to have true representation on stuff like this and see the person i know the deaf actress everyone knows as i said the deaf actress i know is uh, her name is shoshana stern oh yep from uh jericho yeah from jericho which is one of the best tv series of all time check it out it's only two it's only 20 28 episodes 30 episodes too bad you can't like do that. the whole one for your choice c darn <laughs> um Basically, yeah. what we're saying is there's not enough deaf people in popular culture. Yes. We, we as hearing individuals need to see more of it because clearly we don't know enough. Amen. Uh, so speaking of people not knowing enough, let's uh, listen to uh, Lisa and Peter out for their coffee. I know you must be very confused trying to decide what's best for your son. Well, look, I want my son to be able to function in the world. As you can see, I function pretty well without an implant. Yeah, but if an implant can help him to hear, why not get one? Well, there are other options. Yeah. Look, I don't want my son to have to depend on others. No offense. Do you know any deaf people, Dr. Benton? No, no, I don't. Have you ever thought that being deaf might not be so terrible? So you're saying there's no problem? You can never know what it's like being deaf, just like I can never know what it's like being black. I don't look at me being black as a burden. That's who I am. And I don't look at my deafness as a burden. That's who I am. If you turn away from your son's deafness, you will be robbing him of his identity. My son has a medical problem. I'm not turning away from anything. I'm trying to fix it. Okay. So, personally, I'm in Camp Benton here. Really? I am in Camp Benton because I understand the whole identity. uh, I understand where Dr. Parks is coming from. Mm -hmm. But... The fact is that you're dealing with an infant who really hasn't developed a personality yet. And the reality of the world is that it's made for people who can hear. So, Bent, I don't think it's Benton is wrong for wanting to pursue aggressive treatment so that his son doesn't have to be, you know, sort of left out, quote air quotes, of... You know the majority of what society is designed around i don't think that's such a 
such a bad thing. But I totally understand. Like, if Reese were like ten and had been dealing with this, or and had been dealing with this for his entire life, and now this treatment had come along mm-hmm. to potentially making him into someone who could hear, then I could understand more where Doctor Parks is coming from. But because he's not even a year old at this point, I think Benton has a lot of sol- solid points. Yeah, no, I I think you make a very valid point, like w- one that I probably hadn't considered as I was watching it, like that the whole, you know, he hasn't really formulated a personality and a, a way of light. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't even gotten to the point yet where he's missed a ton of like developmental markers because of this, you know, like it's yeah. he's still he's still at a really young age. Um but it was f- sort of frustrating and maybe maybe because we spend so much time nowadays with people who are willfully ignorant of very obvious things, be it, you know, vaccines or, uh, you know, social issues or whatever, whatever the case may be. It was so frustrating to watch somebody who, you know, is intelligent and, you know, can grasp these concepts be so willfully ignorant when they're spelled out for him in plain English like this was here like she draws the most direct comparison that she possibly can she's like I you can't possibly know what it's like for me to be deaf the same way I can't know what it's like for you to be black and it's a it is a very apt compare a lot of times that comparison gets trotted out in very clumsy very you know ill-spoken ways in this case though I think it's perfectly apt because it's a similar type situation of like she can't change the fact that she's deaf any more than he can change the fact that he's black. And for so from her perspective, it is just as valid of an identity. And it is, I can understand totally where she's coming from, that she wouldn't want anybody, be it a child, an adult, anybody, to look upon it as this barrier that has to be overcome rather than just something that makes them different, something that makes them special. Well, and I think within that, too, she's also looking at it from, you know, there's a rich deaf culture. Right. And you are you would potentially be, if you went right with the implant, didn't give him time to develop those other skills like ASL or anything else, you potentially rob him of that ability to tap into that culture. Yeah. In a, in a meaningful, experiential way. I'm not saying who, I'm not, I'm going middle of the road on this because I am neither deaf nor black. Mm-hmm spoilers but um yeah none of us us are exactly so i but i just i think that they both make very salient points go figure lauren's middle of the road on this one and um i i it's just it's a really well done scene and i think they both make some very salient points and um eric lasalle plays the concerned and protective father so well and especially you know like especially when you take his color into it like Reese is already going to be at a disadvantage. Right. Like, we haven't even talked about that. Reese Reese is already starting with a handicap because of his color in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like, let's add a disability on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I get, I get where he's coming from, where if I can get my kid at all up to par, I'm not, it's a terrible way to say it, but if, if yeah. I can get them accommodated for and starting without what he views as a disability and as something that will doom Reese. Yeah. If he can cure it for lack of a better term, I see why he's so 
gung-ho about trying that aggressive option. Yeah. And that is an element of the conversation that doesn't really get super addressed either, is that the, the doc here is speaking from some level of privilege as well, being that she's a presumably affluent as a doctor in Chicago, you know, white woman who, mm-hmm. you know, isn't necessarily going to, wouldn't, even in her own upbringing as a deaf child, wouldn't have faced some of the same obstacles that Reese will presumably run up against in his own, you know, experience. So, yeah, it's complicated. Inter- intersectionality between race and disability and everything is always so complex. And we really, we, we could talk for hours and still be nowhere near as qualified as some of the people who speak on it. So, yeah, but I, I know I'm we have a of- lot of listeners who are disabled and have spoken up about it in the past when there has been representation mm-hmm. questions that have come up on the show. Um, yeah. And I, I'd be really fascinated to hear from somebody's, somebody's opinion on this. Obviously we're not going to, hear from very many deaf people on an audio only type podcast situation you know as i would love to find a way that we could address that but like i'm sure for people with other types of disabilities like what other sorts of you know what is your take on this and like how would you feel if you were in that situation where you had the ability to undergo some kind of procedure undergo some kind of surgery that would at least bring you back to you know like Lauren said, on par, not not starting from behind. And then would you feel like it was robbing you of some kind of identity? And how would you feel if that decision was being made for you before right. you could make that decision, you know, if you were an infant? that Speaking of accessibility, though, that would be paying for transcription money. Yes. We're not there yet. Yes. <laughs> yes. Patreon. <that laughs> I just, Jesus. I would love eventually. Well, I don't know if I want the stupid shit I say to be in writing, but um, I would eventually like to work on more accessibility options for things like for that sure. because I know it can make a huge difference. Um, should we get back to the episode, the the rest of the episode though, and dig ourselves out of that hole? Uh, so, quick note: we find out Doug is late for a budget meeting. Just more piling on how much this administrative stuff is killing him. And then we have Jeannie and Kate are watching Kate's dad juggle Coke cans. He's been going at it for at least two hours. And he's got a few more to go to break the record. Or he's just doing it for fun at this point. Um, And Jeannie takes a moment to ask Kate if she was forced to ride the unicycle. Which I love how earnestly Kate responds. It's one of the few times where I don't think kids are over the top. Mm. Where she's like, no, it's, it's, it's our thing. It's what we do. It's just very sweet. And is this where she pulls the book out and like shows the I picture of them think, doing the sack I race think together? So, yeah, yeah, just very cute. It's clearly something that's benefiting this relationship for this father and daughter, and she's just a little accident prone. Um, but then going back to the clinic, Carol is giving this girl Accutane for her acne, and also says that she needs to be on birth control to make sure there are no birth defects if she were to get pregnant. And this girl is like, uh. No, I'm not sexually active. I won't be sexually active. My mom won't let me take it. My mom won't let me take it. And Carol's like, well, I can call and talk to your mom and explain. And she's like, you don't know my mom. And Lynette overhears this whole thing and is not happy. And we should also take a moment here to mention that this patient is black. Mm-hmm. And Carol is a... Is... Not. Just not not checking her shit here with how she's handling this interaction which comes into play a little bit later on. As far as I'm as far as I'm aware though with Accutane I'm pretty sure that's standard practice. Yeah, I think it is. Because of just how high the the birth defect rate would be. Yeah. 
if were you to, to get carry a child to term while on it. Yeah, this and this could be the start of that policy is around this time. Yeah, but to my knowledge, as far as, as long as I've heard about it, I've always heard that, oh yeah, this. <laughs> right. Um, so we'll come back to that. We have some good some good takes with Lynette and Carol in a little bit. Um, then Mark gives Kevin the list of shelters that he can stay at while he's taking his, you know, Cumadin and getting his life together. And um, Kevin just tries to flirt with Mark again and is, you know, trying, like Daniel mentioned, to get Mark to bite. And Mark is like, is that the only way you can relate to me? By turning me into a customer? Like, totally calls him out on his shit. Which I think I think was kind of a slap in the face for Kevin. It wakes him up a little yeah. bit. But uh, let's go back to Carol and Lynette talking about uh, the birth control pill situation. Hey, can you write me a script for birth control pills? Oh, that uh, young lady decided to take them after him. Yeah, she said she would. You know, uh, you have no business giving her birth control pills because she and her mom don't want them. And uh, what if she got pregnant? Well, you heard her. She's not sexually active. She's a teenager. That doesn't guarantee she's not going to have sex. You... You are undermining her choice. Giving her birth control pills is not going to make her have sex. Listen, how would you feel if you were that girl and a white nurse came in and said she didn't trust you? Well, you know, I wouldn't like it at all no matter what color the nurse was. All I'm saying is you don't know that girl and you don't know her mother. Well, are you volunteering to talk her into it? No. Uh-uh. I just think it's wrong for you to try to force birth control on the girl. Well, maybe. But I'm not going to take any chances. I'm with Carol on this. I'm with Carol on the, like, sequence of events, which I think happened in the previous interaction, where she tells her, you know, you need to take this with the Accutane. The girl objects. Carol sa- or is like, you know, my mom won't let me. So she's like, I'll talk to your mom. Then she objects again and is like, no, you don't know my mom. And then she's like, okay, you know, I'll take your word for it. But in that case, I can't give you the medicine. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm with her up to that point. And then I I do think that uh, Lynette also has a valid uh, valid point to raise here as well. I I am not disagreeing with I'm not disagreeing with Lynette, but I feel like Carol knows how dangerous a medication this can be sure. under the wrong circumstances. So I think it's important for her as a medical professional to stick to her guns Absolutely. in that regard. Yeah, stick to policy. There's just. There's a better way that it could all be communicated, and I think they all just missed the boat on this one a little bit. Yeah, there's just a little bit of miscommunication and situational. I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird. It's a weird yeah, thing. And it is. It's it's probably one of the few I would say uh, little detours in this episode that I think doesn't fully work. Like there's a lot of stuff that there. This is an episode that takes a lot of strange detours, and most of them they manage to find it. Like they managed to find the the golden thread that makes it work, and this is the one that it's just sort of like mm, I don't really know about this one. But so we go from there. We see Lucy letting Carter know that the labs are back on young Brad. Turns out that he uh, has had a recurrence of his leukemia, uh, and he vomited after Malik gave him some ibuprofen. Yikes! Uh, Carter uses this as an opportunity to say that he's dehydrated and admits him to Peds Oncology so that presumably he can get his experimental medication. So he's trying, trying to be good, Carter. Like he's trying to do the right thing for the patient. Playing a little fast and loose with the regulations yeah, there. Yeah, you know, we'll see how that works out for him here in a moment. But uh, the, we then see Carol asking Doug uh, to write the script for the birth control pills since uh, 
Lynette won't. And uh, I like Doug's thing. He's like, I thought we were off all of that. Like, I thought we were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, so presumably Doug writes this. Um, and good little footnote there that they're not taking birth control mm. anymore. Hmm. Um, but then Carrie approaches Mark and Anspa and asks if she can speak to Mark. And Mark's like, yep, I'll meet you in the lounge. I'll be there in a second. Uh, Carrie walks away. Anspa tells Mark the committee wants a star with a national reputation. He says, no use in telling Carrie she was our second choice. It will only disappoint her more. What did we already do this episode? Tell, Disappointed her more. Tell <laughs> Carrie she was second choice. And, and honestly, at this point, wouldn't she be third choice? Because they've already offered it to one guy. He turned it down. And they're now going to want to offer it to a second person. So really, she would be the third choice. Yep. Yeah. I think second choice out of the pool of candidates sure. they started with. And uh, speaking of uh, patients that will that take a hard left turn for the episode. <laughs> I had a good one. Speaking of sticky situations. Uh, thank you. Uh, two guys are brought in glued to each other on the back of a truck via that they've been glued together via carpet cement. They were in a car accident and they're carpet layers. Oh, man. This stuff is like taffy, someone remarks. I forget who. But uh, yeah. Obviously, I think like, it's, so, I, I, like Lauren said, it's a sticky situation. I think it's I think it's Lizzie, if she's going to like tr- just try and like get a feel get a feel for the situation. <laughs> Terrible wording, but yeah, as like as they're starting to get their hands on the trauma, yeah, they're just like and Mark uh, sees blood and they are impaled on some on a hand stretcher, which I'm assuming is a carpet mm-hmm. carpet layers tool of some sort. Um, there's so much innuendo going on here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, Eddie stopped talking as they go into the trauma room and another Lauren. Still, whose films are those guys? We got to turn these rooms around faster. Come on. <laughs> I know. I know. They're trying to clear some of the glue around the area that they need to work on at least. So they're trying to like go with like tongue depressors to like scrape the Ugh. stuff off. And, um, Carrie is going to let Lucy innovate on this one um new policy we're documenting our interesting traumas because they're gonna start taking pictures tells tells lydia to go get the camera yeah also this reminded me when you talk about how sticky all this is reminds me this is for one person (laughs) this reminds me of when um when making sourdough and just how sticky some of that high hydration dough can be it just sticks everywhere sorry it's just that's fine it's a tactile thing that just ruining sourdough for everyone yeah no not really just uh, lizzie's seen me bake it but uh, Carter's coaching Lucy through the innovation, and Carter's stuck on one of the patients as they need to shock Eddie with the defibrillator, who they pull they pull the other dude off just in time, and this is it, folks. This is this is the thing that kills Carter's beard. <laughs> Six episodes. R.I.P. Nineteen ninety eight to nineteen ninety eight. Because how does it happen? Uh, he gets like I said, he gets stuck to one of the patients. And um, so they get him, pull him off, and they're going to get Eddie to the OR. They get him back. Um, and Lucy gets to cut Carter free, starting with the beard. Ugh. I think it's Carrie that says, start with his beard. Yeah, it's certainly the furthest lengths they've gone to to just to address one, like, visual thing. Like, <laughs> like they've created this entire trauma here with the express purpose of getting Carter to shave his beard. 
I, th- I, I like that they went to that much trouble from a writing standpoint. And I would love to know, like, I, I would, I would absolutely love to know, like, whose idea the beard was. Like, did he just show up to season five with a beard, and they were like, "Yeah, let's go with it," or did they ask him to grow a beard because they thought it would age him up, maybe? Like, I just, I would love to know the thought process behind that, and then the thought process that led to this episode where they were like, "We got to get rid of the beard. Like, the beard's got to go. It's just not working." Um, and why they didn't just have him shave it off, like why they felt that they had to give it this like on-screen justification. The beard, the beard needed. There's been characters that they didn't give this much on-screen resolution to, <laughs> other than like more so than Carter's beard here. Um, but our, our our two brothers here that are glued together, Eddie, the one who was impaled and went up to the OR, he is played by actor John Sklaroff, who appeared in mo- the movie Three Kings, Gifted, and Captain America: Winter Soldier. And uh, Marcus, the brother who's otherwise fine, uh, other than the fact that he's covered in glue, uh, he is mm-hmm. played by actor Silas Weir Mitchell, who appeared in the movie Rat Race, The Whole Ten Yards, and Flags of Our Fathers, and looks like he could be Mark Green's dopey son. Uh, there was another uh, thing for Silas that's worth oh, noting. Yeah? He appeared in 1997 episode of ER, Ambush. Really? As Lewis. Lewis. Luis. Who would Lewis have been in Ambush? I'm trying to remember. Hmm. I don't know, but he's credited because Wikipedia shows him in two episodes of ER as different characters. Interesting. Yeah, I just the whole thing the whole time I was looking at him, I was just like, he looks like he could be a stand-in for Green. Like he's he has this like very similar facial structure to Green. He's wearing a hat, so it's hard to tell if he's bald or not. But like he's uh he has very similar facial structure to Green. Just has kind of like slightly dopier look to his face. But if you were if you were looking at him from like twenty feet away, and obviously younger, but if you were looking at him from like twenty feet away, I'd be like, yeah, that's that could that could pass as Mark Green. Like, to me, he really looks, and it was driving me nuts. He really looks like someone from Patch Adams, and it's it's it was driving me nuts. It's not the same. Not actor, having but... a intimate enough knowledge of that cast list beyond Robin Williams, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> like, I've watched that movie so much when I was I, younger. I think I've just, like, seen the... it in in its entirety maybe once. It's my brand of That's garbage. That's fine. Uh, Kate's dad is on three and a half hours running strong on juggling, and Jerry ruins it by carrying inventory and bumping into him. God damn it, oh, Jerry. Jerry. Uh, Mark gets approached by the police because they are looking for Kevin since he's got parole violation and prostitution charges. And Mark says, I'm a doctor, not a cop, to which the cop responds, I'm a cop, not a social worker, because Mark says that this kid needs another chance. And they ask Mark to call when Kevin is being released so they can come pick him up. Did anyone clock our cop here? I did not. Our cop here. Yeah, it's, uh, I did. It's Reggie. Yeah, it's Reggie. Yeah. In case in case you, you, you hear those soft bells ringing in the distance, it's uh, the end of Jeannie Boulay's time on the show, and it's coming ever closer with each passing episode. Time marches on. Yeah. So Reggie here, who will be the, the future Mr. Jeannie Boulay for a while. Uh, played by actor Cress Williams, who appeared in Black Lightning, Never Been Kissed, and Fallen, and he's making his first out of fourteen appearances here. So, right. interesting uh, first appearance here. Shows up with the Glue Brothers. We've got a, we've got a couple of um, a couple of storylines that are being set in motion for character departures this season. Mm-hmm. We've got Doug's. We've There's got a lot actually. Genies. I mean, you think about it, we're going to we're going to be undergoing quite a bit of cast turnover over the next season and mm-hmm. a half. I mean, we're going to lose uh Doug this season. Next season we will lose Carol and Jeannie both. 
mm-hmm. and then we'll be bringing in, of course, Abby Kovac. And does Malucci, Malucci? does Malucci start next season? I yeah. think he does. Malucci should be next season yeah. too. So we're we're or late this season. And I, I think, think. Uh, and uh, and uh, Deb I think comes back next season as well. So My girl. We're 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 just the, the 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 wheels are turning with the cast turnover here. I love it. King May, let's go. Let's go. Um. So yeah, so we go from there. We see Kate and her dad chilling in the uh, chairs area, and uh, Jeannie gives them the all clear to head out. And we overhear as they're leaving uh, that uh, Kate is upset that she's going to miss the big event, whatever that is, at the pier later tonight. We will find out what that is a little bit later. And Dad says it's okay. We can still go watch. Solidly next season for Malucci too. I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. Thank God. I hate him. I hate him so much. I can't wait to hate him though. Like I, I, it gives me life how much I hate him. What do you mean you don't like him being a sexist pig and inappropriately hitting on <sighs> Chen all the time? Look, I have a type of the people that I hate on this show. Like, and it's it's generally shitty dude characters. Like, I hate Malucci. I hate uh, Ray. Ray. And I hate Brenner. Like, that's my top three. That's my unholy trilogy, uh, trinity right there. I hate all three of them. And would not be sad if all three of them died in a fire. You know, you know. Speaking of shitty characters, who I'm really excited to talk about, I might get this name wrong, but Moretti. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it's gonna pain me to talk about that actor. Yeah. In such negative terms for a character, but Tucci gang, Tucci gang, Tucci gang. The Tooch. Tooch is loose. Oh. So then. Sounds so gross. (laughs) So we go from there. We find out that Brad's bed is ready upstairs, and uh. As they're leaving the room, Lucy asks if Brad is really dehydrated. And so Carter then has to explain to her how the loophole works to try to work the system sometimes to get what you want. And as they're doing this, Mom overhears and yells at Carter because if they get caught doing this, uh, then Brad could potentially lose what little insurance he does have. uh, You know, because even shitty insurance is better than no insurance. Uh, So kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place there so lucy has stepped in it once again it seems to be her role yeah so far i mean she's a med student so it's bound to happen but every single episode come on people she's a little bit she's gotta be a little bit better than this maybe next season um but then we go back over to mark he's telling kevin that the cops stopped by earlier um kevin is terrified to go back to juvie i imagine as a gay person would be um uh, mark is getting him out and he's not writing him out to the cops he gives him 50 bucks and his in uh mark's and his page number and a bunch of coumadin and a list of shelters and he puts him in a cab just gets him the fuck out of there yeah putting a kid like this in prison solves nothing nope but benton tells carrie that he met with lisa parks and is kind of like well you didn't you didn't tell me she was deaf he kind of alludes to like that carrie backed him into a corner with that one and carrie says i thought you'd want to hear to see what she achieved and peter calls deafness a defect and carrie's like defect hmm as someone who is also um working at a handicap she calls him out on the word choice and Peter awkwardly walks away. <laughs> we just kind of leave it. It does the, the like, Homer Simpson into the bushes. Yep. Like just <laughs> into the grass. Yep. The look Carrie gives him. Oh, so good. Have I mentioned I love Carrie? Because I love Carrie. Especially now because we're starting to get really good Carrie yeah. again. 
We're, we are, as later in this episode reveals, we are going to get into some excellent Carrie stuff coming up. It's funny how that happens when she's not trying to sabotage Doug every five minutes. <laughs> Putting the meme back here. Uh, Mr. Levy is finally leaving. Carol says that, you know, when in doubt, outreach to the community. She found another member, another member of his temple to stay with him until he gets a new nurse. And as he is walking into chairs, it's this other little old man... And they just start screaming at each other about, like, spit on your grave, want you dead, you owe me money, their timeshare is shitty, and just just beautiful, excellent way to end off just with Mr. Levy. Two incredibly stereotypical, yet an <laughs> utterly delightful old Jewish man. Uh, yeah. Uh, and R.I.P. the beard. Carter is shaving it off when Lucy walks in and... Uh, uh, Brad's mom is taking him home due to the insurance snafu, and looks like uh, he's not long for this world, unfortunately. We need to count our blessings that Carter does not stay with where he is in this scene, where it is basically kind of a redux of Green's goatee beard thing, where it's like yeah. he's shaved just the yeah. sides, and he just has the like ring around his mouth. It is not pleasant, and I like... I. Mm. That's the real. That's the real evil, right there. Good thing you all get it all for all of thirty seconds, and then we're back to clean cut Carter by the first image. Next time we see him. Uh, but let's go over to the lounge where Mark and Carrie are discussing the chief situation. Hey. Hey, Mark. I was just putting together a year-long coverage schedule for the ER. Oh, good. Carrie, I want to talk to you. Is it about the chief position? The executive committee has decided to reopen the search. Oh. The committee feels that they need a candidate with a national reputation. Personally, I think it stinks. Well, that's that. You're not out of the running, Gary. It's, it's just reopen the search. No. And I'm not interested in continuing as interim chief. Who's going to do it? Not my problem. That is the correct answer there, Carrie. Not yes. sounds like a whole lot of not my problem. It's the correct answer to anything remotely resembling that situation. <laughs> I love how she's like, no, I'm not going to be strung along anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Get, if you're going to look for somebody else to do the job, get somebody else to do the job. Amen, sister. Good job, Carrie. So let's get a stalker. Huh? Hey! Don't! <laughs> Jumping ahead only five or six episodes, it's fine. We said we're talking more about spoilers. <laughs> I We've know. already spoiled several things in this episode. Oh, Whatever. <sighs> I don't know why I feel like that's like... There's some things that I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about the Mark Green dies, whatever. But there's some <laughs> things that are like the little shit in the show that I'm like, don't say yeah. it. Like, there's one in particular that we've kind of tiptoed around about a future happening with a certain surgeon and i'm very proud of that that we don't outrightly right. say it daniel like, can daniel it's i just said one word daniel can beep it out if he wants to he won't but of course he won't uh, spoiler if we start beeping things out that's going to be real rough on uh, talk about some bad asmr for our listeners hey, <laughs> start hey they things. do it they do it on laser time no it'll it'll be jake's noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so I'll just be the Craig Ferguson Tootsie Fruitsie. Oh, that was my favorite way of bleeping anything ever. Uh, so we go from there. We see uh, Lizzie working on degluing Marcus, one of the glue brothers from earlier. And uh, Benton stops by to chat. Turns out Eddie is fine. 
So happy ending on the glue storyline. Uh, and Benton says that uh, when she finishes up that uh, they need to go to dinner. And then he replies when she's like, uh, but, you know, blah, 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 whatever. She objects it. Uh, he says, you're my new intern. I just gave you an order. And let's just throw Ugh. all of that power dynamic shit out the window from earlier. Like, let's fuck my valid nope. concerns. Let's make it weird. Mm. Nope. Yeah, I, I do not like this. I do not like this at all. Not a fan. Uh, and when we go back down, Carol checks on Doug at admit on her way out, uh, offers to bring him dinner. Because we find out that he told Anspa that the PZR was running at peak capacity, so now he wants uh, a detailed uh, analysis of the census. And when Carol asks when he expects to be home, he chuckles and says, maybe April. So, <laughs> uh, which I thought was I thought was a funny, funny line, both because uh, it's a funny line and also because Clooney will be long gone by April. So, Spoiler! <laughs> Uh, the paramedics are headed back to the firehouse as Mark is leaving. They ask Mark where he's going. He's headed home. And they invite him over for the poker game at the firehouse, which is very sweet. Um, they say they can go stop by an ATM on the way so they can get his money and take all of it. Um, Jeannie goes to hang out with Kate and her dad. And they go to Navy Pier, and they're on a trampoline. Uh, Jeannie and the father are, with only six hours to go to break the record. So Jeannie is jumping in place of Kate, and Kate is watching. And it's the cutest thing ever. In another one of Jeannie's finest of 90s fashion, Mm -hmm. athletic fashion outfits. The all-gray sweats. Just in a vacuum, what a strange scene this has to be to not only conceive, and then film, and then perform, you know, from... Gloria Rubin's perspective like this is one of those ones that I think it would have been interesting to ask her about of like what were your thoughts when they were like hey we want you to jump on a trampoline with a crowd of people there's at least like a hundred people standing around extras standing around watching them and I couldn't tell from watching because I've never actually been there myself was that a location shot that they were doing there or did that was did that look like a California I shot? don't remember I it looked, it, I was able to tell just looking at it that it was Navy Pier, but I'm not sure if they did like a composite shot yeah. or how they might have done it. Because I don't know anywhere that there's giant trampolines at Navy Pier, so they I don't know. probably if, brought their own in. Yeah, but like, like I said, yeah, there's I at least a hundred extras standing. So this is like a, a large scale production that they've put together for this very nothing scene here. And it just is one of those things that like when she's trying to make the decision of whether or not she wants to stay on the show and continue her time there, it's like... They're having me jump on trampolines. Like, is that really, like, is that the hard-hitting storylines that I signed up? Although, I think, if I remember correctly, one of her, like, chief, not complaints, but, like, chief reasons for maybe wanting to leave the show when her contract was up was that all of Jeannie's storylines were too depressing and that she never got to have any fun. So maybe this maybe this was something that she would enjoy. I thought this was cute. Anyway, speaking of cute things, uh, let's go, let's listen in on... To our last audio of the episode, uh, Carter stops by the room for rent listing. Dr. Weaver. Carter. Uh, what are you, what are you doing here? I came to see about a room for rent. It's the right address. <laughs> it is. I, I rent out my apartment. I have a basement. Would you like to see it? Um, 
Sure. You know, I don't usually advertise at the hospital because I always thought it might be kind of, um, you know, awkward. Ah. Sure. Well, hey, if, you, if you'd rather not. No. <laughs> I was just, I was just uh, having a drink. Would you like one? Sure. Good. Good. Did you do something to your hair? <laughs> I love Carrie. No, the reason I was freaking out over here is, Lizzie, did you realize what song is playing? No. I just want to set the world on fire from Fallout. Was that? It is. I was listening to the words. It is a jazz rendition of that oh. song. That's why I was freaking out. was because I put it together and then I was just happy over here realizing that, yeah, deep, deep take. There's a, there's a crossover we didn't expect here <laughs> Nope, today. not at all. But yeah, I love how she's like, yeah, I don't normally advertise at the, ho at the hotel. The I don't norm normally advertise at the hospital, but eh, come in, have a drink, come check the apartment out. I let... We are, we are hitting gear. Carrie gives no fucks. Yeah. And this is the start of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, I, I do whole, too. This whole I think thing. this is a really fun idea, and I'm, I love that they took it and ran with it and i wish they'd done more with it also i like drunk carrie can i just say yes. that drunk carrie seems mm -hmm. like a fun time yeah but also this sets the stage for why she gives a shit so much about carter in two seasons when he's going through his stuff yeah because they form they get to know each other yeah. a lot more so this this sets the tone for when hey. when she needs to help mama carry him yeah with everything that's going on for him. Yeah, I, I'm a big, big fan of this little storyline wrinkle here. I think this is cool. I love it. So we go to our, our wrapping up the episode here. We uh, Carol in a bubble bath. Got to bring in the the after ten crowd. Bring in the ratings. I want I want that goddamn tub. It, it, it seems like a very nice tub. I would like to point out though uh, that uh, sixty inch television HD TV uh, over her shoulder as she's talking on the phone, presumably to Doug. Uh, if you look in the doorway, you can just barely make out the edge of Clooney's leg waiting, waiting for his cue uh, and how we we uh, shockingly don't actually hear him talking until the camera reveals that he's standing in the doorway. But uh, so, yeah, he surprises her at home, says he's going to take the night off and uh, then asks if he can join uh, in the bathtub and then does the very strange choice of. Uh, as the as the scene fades to black, we don't see him actually get in, but he starts to get into the tub fully dressed, which is really just a strange. And, and I choice. realized in the notes I made a, a Superman reference, but I don't know if Daniel's seen it because Daniel doesn't watch superhero movies, S especially not Superman movies. Superman is the most yeah, overrated superhero in the history of superheroes. Okay, but Mark Havel is amazing. But um, there's a scene where he and Amy Adams are talking in the bathroom and he just gets in the tub with her fully dressed. Henry Cavill? Sorry. Yes. Whatever. I was still was like, who, wait, who? Huh? Super. The guy who, the white man who plays Superman. Yeah, Henry whatever. Cavill. Yes. Point is, it's amazing and yeah, he just gets in totally dressed and it's like, ugh. Just the water's just everywhere. It's, you're talking about a guy who wears his underpants on the outside like he, this guy already makes strange choices with his clothing anyway so him getting into a tub fully dressed doesn't seem that strange to me i like this episode 
I I yeah. like it a whole heck of a lot. It's weird, but it's good weird in my opinion. Yep. Like they make they take every weird chance they can in this episode, and almost I would say ninety nine percent of them pay off. Like ninety nine percent of them, I come away feeling really good about. And we we get a nice uh cohesive central patient plot thread to ground us in, where we can follow Kevin throughout the episode. And then all the wackety schmackety that surrounds it all kind of comes together and works in a really, really cohesive way. And I just, I don't know. This is this one really did it for me. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I would agree. Solid B plus. Once again, Daniel's in my head. <laughs> Stop. I do that. the best I can. I'm so excited for the Carrie and Carter friendship to begin. My only, my only qualm. It's not even with this episode necessarily. It's with more like. Can we see Lucy being something other than a punching bag? No. For I mean, for five minutes. Like I know she has her moments to she shine. She does. But yeah, I think those. I'm ready. I think those. those are going to come more later in the season. I think she's very much still taking her lumps here. Lauren, what do the listeners have to say have to say about this one? Uh, Fran or W starts us off with "God damn it, Carter." God damn it, Peter. Oh man, I love Jeannie Boulay. P.S. That is some lengths to go to get fresh-faced baby Carter back on our screens. <laughs> Lexi Y says, I remember being so sad for this kid and relating to his dark humor as a defense mechanism, even though I've never experienced anything remotely close to his situation. It was believable to me that a smart kid would act that way if he had just given up on himself. Hopefully Mark helped him believe in a little good in the world. I wish we got a follow up. I agree. That would have been really cool. Angela G, I liked the beard. (laughs) I like that you actually performed the claps. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, it was a shame that it was only with us for such a short time. Angela, I'm with you. I do. I do. I agree. I love the beard. I, I I love the beard on second, on fifth glance. <laughs> how many times I've watched through the show, but I appreciate the beard too. Yep. I'm ready for the what is it? Season ten better season, beard yeah. to come in. Beard 2.0. Yep. Uh, yep. Carly M says season five Mark has actually been better. Must have been the beard. For this episode, I started to see what everyone was saying about Carter even more now, especially when rewatching. So I think talking about how sanctimonious Carter is and kind of abusive. Um, and at Baker Basic on Twitter says, finally, we lose that beard with Carter. <laughs> also, him renting a room from Weaver is hilarious. I wish they did more with it because it made for some great comedy. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our show for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 20 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on first in our lives and in the world at that moment, Movie Reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and Flash Forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345, talking sugar about wrestling. 
And you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's G-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of It Takes Two with Jake Terrell. New episodes of that are out every Wednesday, and you can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.